It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. It's the mailbag. It's Friday. We're doing a mailbag. I asked a question today. We're going to start the show there, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some weird news with the former, probably former Bengal, Darquez Denard. Joe? I've got a question, too. Yeah, you want want the question now? Before we get started, you want me to save it? No, let's, let's save it. So let's get into the opening conversation, as we always do. Catch you up on the scant bit of news that we have and get into the question of what position would you like the Bengals to draft at 33 with their second round pick? 1,841 answers, and it's a pretty overwhelming favorite. So let's get into that discussion. The quick hitter piece of news to start out with is Darquez Denard, who we thought was going to Jacksonville to play outside cornerback, has had his deal fall through. He's back on the open market and is still going to be a very attractive option for any team looking for a slot corner if they can convince him to play there. So we'll have to keep an eye on how that plays out. Second piece of news, the NFL draft will go on as scheduled. Roger Goodell sent a letter out to NFL teams today indicating as such. April 23rd to April 25th remains the weekend. We don't get a seven-day draft, thank heavens. And the draft will not be delayed for the draft enthusiasts that listen to the podcast or this segment. So the draft will go on as scheduled, which means we don't have to wait any longer than we should for Joe Burrow to be a Bengal. And that's the number one pick. We all know it at this point. But I think we're all looking at pick 33 to kick off round two. And Jake, you had a good question and poll on Twitter today. One that I voted in, but I know you couldn't. So what was the question and what would you have voted for? The question was, assuming equal grades on each player available at these positions, which one would you rather the Bengals draft with the 33rd overall pick? Would you rather have an offensive lineman, a linebacker, a safety or a corner, or a wide receiver? I don't know what exactly I would pick here if it was equal grades. My inclination is actually toward wide receiver right now. I think that that's a long-term need. I think John Ross is likely on his way out and the Bengals would benefit from acquiring a rookie contract and having a guy locked up for four years. And since you're picking at 33, this should be a guy that contributes toward the second half of his rookie year at a pretty high level and can be a starter in year two. That also gives you a little bit of A.J. Green insurance. 
I actually voted in this, and I voted for the offensive line. And I did so because looking at the depth chart, as it's projected and stands right now with the free agent moves, I think their biggest holes and biggest areas of weakness remain on the offensive line. They may like Michael Jordan. They may like Xavier Suofilo at guard. I think they could find an upgrade with that 33rd pick. And I believe if they spent it there, you would get an instant starter and a, and a guy like, do you think of the offensive line, how it stands right now? You really have Jonah Williams, who they expect to be there starting left tackle and be a good one. You have Trey Hopkins, who is a steady center, but he could also play guard. So I think they have some flexibility there. And they may like the battle between Fred Johnson and Bobby Hart. And if you would have listed this as guard versus tackle, it may, I may have been a little more split. But because you listed it on the offensive line, I think this is easy. You protect Joe Burrow and you allow him to develop without fear of getting sacked every other play. And the offensive line is overwhelmingly the popular choice here with 53% of the vote linebacker second place, 29% of the vote and wide receiver third place, 15 percent of the vote in a distant last place is safety or cornerback at three percent of the vote part of this is probably because the Bengals have signed two unrestricted free agents starting cornerbacks that they're expecting to step in and they just signed Von Bell yesterday but the offensive line as Joe points out could easily use an upgrade the reason that I didn't vote for it or I wouldn't have voted for it would be because I don't think the Bengals are going to prioritize it unless it's a tackle that falls out of the first round. Unless it's a Josh Jones or an Andrew Thomas who has stumbled out of the first round, I don't see the Bengals pulling the trigger here. They have a history of not highly valuing interior offensive linemen. They would do it if it was a tackle that they really liked, but I think that at that point, the tackles you expect to be available at 33 are a step behind the other players that would be there. So if we start putting names to it, it gets a little harder. Linebacker is the second vote getter. For me, it's probably third or fourth it's probably fourth on this list if it's equal grades because of strictly positional value an adequate linebacker changes the defense much less than a good safety or corner and i think changes the team's future less than a wide receiver i think you have to project this everyone wants to draft for 2020 right we look at the needs now and we want to attack needs and fill needs but the draft is just as much about 2021 and beyond. And I think when you look at the roster under that lens, linebacker, you really only have Jermaine Pratt going forward. Um, safety corner. At corner, you only have Darius Phillips and Trey Waynes going forward. And then at safety, it's really just Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell. So you could say I may need a corner for the future. And receiver, it's Auden Tate and Tyler Boyd. You may say I, I need one of those guys too. I think it's pretty equal fighting for number two behind offensive line. Yeah, it was actually really interesting to read the replies here because some people were like, oh yeah, this is really easy, offensive line. Other people were like, Edge, I'm writing in something that I didn't even have an option for because if you look at the Bengals' depth chart at Edge Rusher, it's three guys. So that is an acceptable answer too. And I think John Sheeran made a good point that I'm going to begrudgingly give him here because he was being a difficult person on Twitter today, let's say. Uh he said that it illustrates, the conversation illustrates that you can't fix everything in one year. They've spent extravagantly in free agency to try to shore up the defense, but both short-term and long-term, there are holes that will take time to fill because it takes several drafts to do so unless you have Miami's kind of draft capital. And even then, it probably takes two or three years. 
because it takes that long to develop those picks at times. And you shouldn't expect a rookie. Someone to say, well, then draft a corner next year if we're only going to have two corners on the roster. Well, then you're starting a rookie corner, and guess who's going to be picked on and attacked when he's not ready? So you like to draft these positions a year early. Give them some play time as a rookie, not depending on them, and then let them really flower in year two. And I think Bengals are at least in position to do that now, which I think will help them develop this draft class much better. I agree. I just think that it's really hard to project. That's why I asked the question, because I think it's really hard. I, I, I can see any of these being reasonable options for the Bengals. And I think that I would be most disappointed with an interior offensive lineman or like what? Re- reaching. Well, it depends on who it is, right? Because if it's if it's like Damian Lewis or Lloyd Cushenberry, I think that's a clear step down. If it's not Cesar Ruiz, essentially... Mm. I think they're reaching at 33. If they trade back and then do it, I'm I'm more okay with it. I'd be second most disappointed with the linebacker, again, if it's not one of the guys that's fallen out of the first round because then I think it's a reach. Zach Bond is an exception to this rule. I would I'd be the next most disappointed if it's um if it's if it's a Terrell Lewis or or yeah. maybe like Yetter Gross Matos if they don't trade back cuz I want to see them trade back if they're going to if they're going to go for one of those guys that's a clear second round guy. And our guy, Benjamin Robinson, who does uh, grinding the mocks where he projects based on mm-hmm. expert fan and analyst mock drafts. Um, one of the top guys that keep going to the Bengals is Solomon Kinley, a guard from Georgia and at 33. And I did not know that. I haven't seen a mock yet. And he's apparently based on his data. That's one that pops up a lot. And I would um, hate that. <laughs> yeah. Offensive line is really popular. Austin Jackson, some other tackle offensive line is a really popular mock to the Bengals in the second round. And I, I really don't see it unless it's a top guy that falls, unless it's Cesar Ruiz, Josh Jones. I, I mean, I would be surprised. I'd be disappointed because I think that would be a reach unless they trade back. We have a lot of questions to get to though, Joe, let's get into those here in just a minute. Hi, I'm Jake from locked on. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of you, your favorite football team, what you wear to the playoff watch party, that song that you stream over and over to get you pumped up for the gym, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are best to listen to on a long road trip, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you. And the ability to choose the plan you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It's the mailbag episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, our favorite episode of the week. And we've got a lot of questions today. Is there, there's a lot to talk about in the Bengals world. Our first one here is from Zach Kirshner. And Zach asks, assuming there's an early run on tackles and cornerback safety is deprioritized after free agent acquisitions and the top wide receiver doesn't fall, what would you trade to move back into the late first round so we can get our guy at linebacker, whether that's Murray, Queen, or Bond, ahead of the Ravens? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I, I just wouldn't. I, I, I would not trade up 
I think philosophically for any position on day one or two that was not a quarterback unless I was a team like the Ravens, like the Chiefs, and I had extra draft capital and was already at the top of the NFL. So the short answer is that I wouldn't. And if I were going to, I would try to do it on the cheap. I would try to do it for like a a fourth or a future third or something. Mm. I I would try to do it cheap. Actually, maybe not even a future third because we might be looking at a weird draft scenario next year. They might have a big supplemental draft or something. So I don't know if I'd even do that. Yeah, I don't know how that would work, but uh, I wouldn't do it for linebacker. It would have to be because none of them for me are going to be top twenty guys. You know, I we don't have a board yet, Jake. I think we should um, get something down before this because it's I have one in my brain, and normally it doesn't always fall exactly the way I think it will. But if I were to rank the rank them, I'd have Murray and Queen and like the twenty four to twenty six range in a first round, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe twenty one to twenty four range, because they'd probably be fringe first round at the end of first round, and then Bond would probably be like twenty five to twenty seven, twenty eight range for first rounders. And to me, that's not someone you trade up for. If it was C.J. Henderson, corner from Florida, it would be probably like in the top fifteen for me, and he's still there. But I'd, I'd trade up. If it was uh, a wide receiver, like all of a sudden Jerry Judy's still there for whatever reason, there's always someone that falls for some strange reason, whether it's a long mask or it's an injury, you have an opportunity to make that decision in the late first round. Although they won't have the most recent information on guys too. So we might see guys that were injured at the combine fall a little bit because they couldn't finish Mm -hmm. testing. Yep. Uh, if they didn't do a pro day and there are prospects that are trying to do pro days, private pro days and record them for NFL teams. I don't know how those teams will evaluate those things, but yeah, if it was a guy like Javon or Kinlaw. Yeah. If it was Javon. maybe Andrew Thomas, you consider trading back. Like if it was one of these guys that I'm saying, I'd be excited to get it 33. If they felt Denzel Mims, uh, maybe, I don't know if I'm trading up for Denzel Mims. Jerry Judy, different story. I think Denzel Mims is a guy that if he falls, great. If he doesn't, uh, you're a little upset about it. But I'm not trading up for a linebacker. Um, And and none of these guys, like you say, Joe, I don't think any of these guys are are guys that we're going to think of highly enough to justify that. But we haven't really gotten into our spreadsheet yet. Uh, That's something that we really need to get on at this point so we can get closer to finalized draft grades. Our next question. Comes from JoJo Jammer, win one Super Bowl on Twitter. How much pressure is on Lou Anarumo now that they've added all of these players to his defense? And you have to assume, Joe, that a lot of these were his guys. Yeah, and I think we assumed some of that last year. I mean, you, when you signed Kerry Wynn and B.W. Webb, those are definitely your guys because they're coming from your former team. Um, so, yes, I, I kind of think that there was a little pressure on him last year. And, again, they were bad on defense. And there were some issues, it seemed, just not with players, but fundamentally and, and with checks and calls. We talked about that on yesterday's podcast. So if you want more on that, we spent a few minutes talking about that. But I do think there will be added pressure. When you go out and spend this much money and you double up at a few positions and not just corner, but, I mean, kind of, we had safety also when you get Von Bell and you have Sean Williams. And if you keep both, you got to figure out how to get both of them on the field to maximize that, right? So I do think there 
will be some pressure on them. Coordinators can get fired relatively quickly. We've seen this. Um, if they don't get out there and get on the field, I mean, there could be four weeks and you, you could get rid of Lou Anarumo if, if it's just terrible out there because they shouldn't be. On paper, they shouldn't be terrible already. And we're going to probably add two of the first four picks on the defensive side. Uh, this should, at the very least, be a middle-of-the-road defense, right? I, I think so. And if it's not, then we got a problem. So uh, I, I think very quickly we'll know in the, the hot seat or Luan Rumo will be on the hot seat. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's a little bit more pressure because they have spent so much money, particularly on DJ Reader, Trey Waynes. I think that these lose guys, quote-unquote, are, are more guys that he thinks – have to be good fits for his defense. And last year, last year he went out and got guys that he was familiar with just to be able to try to do what he said without too much of a learning curve. This year, they're more prepared, they keep saying. So they're going to be teaching guys new things and new guys old things, I guess, for the guys that have been there. So I think that these are guys that they've targeted to try to improve in specific areas. We've talked about that quite a bit. And if they don't improve in those specific areas, then I think maybe there's a problem. Yeah. Next question is from Andrew 88 G. Do you think the national media narrative of Burrow not wanting to play for the Bengals is a direct influence in the free agency moves? No. That it? I Just think no? so. No, I, I mean, I can expand on it, I guess. I think that we heard immediately that the Bengals were going to spend, you know, Duke Tobin, it's not a matter of if we're going to spend, it's a matter of how we're going to spend. It's, we heard from, as the season was ending, from Dave Lapp. I mean, the hints have been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've t- I talked about it all year, too. I said, if they don't see this as impetus to change the way they do business, they will never change. The writing was kind of on the wall all year. It took us seeing it to believe it in the end. But, I mean, we, we have been talking about it since, like, week eight. And I think Joe Burrow did have an impact, but in a different way. I think when you have a number one guy and you think he's truly that franchise quarterback, and I bet the Bengals do, you want to maximize that four or five years. And Duke Tobin says, we always try to maximize the roster. But no, now you know what maximizing the roster looks like when you're up against the cap in March. So um, they are and they have been this free agent period. And I think it's because their window of opportunity will be open um, within a year of drafting Joe Burrow. And if you look at the way that they've gone about roster construction in the last 20 years, maybe there's a pattern here. I mean, we would have to go back and look at 2010. I don't remember if they they didn't really sign the crop of free agents for Andy Dalton that they did when they had Carson Palmer, to my Mm -hmm. recollection. But when they brought Palmer in, they made a pretty big effort to sign external free agents, especially when he was on his rookie deal. And that's a different rookie deal than now. Now it's much cheaper. Oh, three. Oh, three. They went out and signed a whole bunch of guys from... Um, Torrey James, John Thornton, Kevin Hardy. Um, there's a bunch of guys I'm forgetting. Carlton Powell was a decent player at the time. I mean, they may not sound like big names now, but they were foundational pieces that helped them get out of the dark ages well, and move forward to an eight and eight year, right? Bobby Williams is a huge signing. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, Reggie th- Kelly. Yeah. I mean, they went out and got, they made trades for guys, uh, you know, Reggie Kelly at some point or not Reggie Kelly, Reggie Nelson at the end of Carson's sure. time or was that the beginning of Dalton's time? That's that was, oh, now. 2009 or 2010. No, that might have been Dalton time. You're, my, you're way off on this, I think. Way off? Well, I mean, just not 03. I'm, I'm thinking early. I think when right. they drafted Carson, they were like, let's get in some talent here. 
And I think that has an impact is my point so based on this question. Where, where I was going was as the quarterback matured and got into their second deal, they got into more trades and they would make, they, they would make mm. more targeted free agent acquisitions, but they would rely more on the draft. You would see them see try. You, you, there's a cycle they go through where early in the cycle with a, a new quarterback, they're going to be more aggressive in free agency. Then they're going to try to build comp picks and try to build through the draft and try to get cheap contracts because they know they're going to have to pay that quarterback. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a pattern there. I don't know if I it's deliberate it. or not, but we might be seeing. I mean, I think it's certainly deliberate now. Anyway, our next question comes from Dale Altman at Dale Altman on Twitter. If you haven't recorded yet, we hadn't. Lucky you. Why is Carlos Dunlap on this list of potential trade candidates from Spotrack, including Yannick Ngakwe, Olivier Vernon, Matt Judon, Joe Tooney, a bunch of guys that have been franchised, Trent Williams, Matt Breida, David Njoku, Curtis Samuel, Marcus Go- Marquise Goodwin, and Sammy Watkins? Well, I hope he's not um, going to be traded. I still think Dunlap is a foundational piece, and like I said, the window may be open next year. I'd like to keep him. But I do remember at the trade deadline last year, even Paul Danner Jr. was writing that maybe Dunlap's on there. And this was before Dunlap tore it up in the second half and really cemented his best career year. Uh, And I was thinking, also, I was putting up hypotheticals on Twitter. Would you take a third for Carlos Dunlap? Would you take a second? I'm trying to get feelers to see, you know, where we valued him. So maybe that's coming from that. And I also think there's also some part of the Bengals going to a more 3-4 defense. And Dunlap's probably the oddest fit of the edge guys in that um, in that mold. But to me, I don't think it matters because I think you're mostly got four down guys and he's still a good pass rusher. He was, he was just so good in the second half when they were doing, when the defense was hitting its drive and Lou Anarumo was figuring it out. It just seems like it would be really weird timing, especially with how shallow they are out there. They just, they didn't attack it in free agency. So I, I don't see that being terribly likely. Joe, we have a lot more questions to get to here. We're about halfway through the mailbag. I hope we're not. We're, we're behind, as we always are. We go too deep on these questions every time, which is why we're doing bonus mailbags in the future. So I hope y'all are excited for that. We'll get to the rest of your questions here in just a minute. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jumping back into the mailbag, the next question is from Doug at Sports. Do you think having a monster D tackle like DJ Reader in the middle opens up the Bengals to look at linebackers who are athletic but maybe a bit less physical? For instance, Troy Dye struggles getting away from blocks, but fewer O-line can reach him with this defensive line. I think that to some extent that's true, but you can't necessarily plan your entire second level around one guy on your defensive line. That gets you into trouble real quick when if that guy gets hurt. Not, I'm not saying DJ Reader's going to get hurt. He's been pretty healthy in his NFL career, but you look at the Bengals when Geno Atkins got hurt, which happened once, and it made a huge difference for that defense. I think that you can't necessarily plan too much. It might give you a little bit of leeway there, but I wouldn't say if you're drafting a guy that you want to come in and start and be who he is. 
I, I wouldn't feel good about changing my model too much just for having one dominant nose tackle. Yeah, I agree. I think it helps to have him, obviously. Yeah. And I think you can look at this class and say, well, I think it's, it starts fundamentally. What do you want in a linebacker? And athleticism is a requirement. Um, you want physicality. That's a requirement, I believe. Shedding blocks and being able to handle blockers, I believe, is a requirement of linebacker. So if a guy doesn't have it, you're going to knock him down the board. And I think with the need at that position, if Troy dies there in the third round, I don't think he's an option now, or at least he shouldn't be if that's a struggle that you feel is, is going to be hard to overcome or you have to hide it. I think that's – I don't want someone who's unathletic. I don't want someone who's, who deals who can't deal with blockers. I don't want someone who can't play in coverage at all. So uh, it, it narrows it down pretty quickly for me. And if he's there in the fourth or fifth, sure, then I, we can talk about it because you're not expecting that guy to come in and play – major minutes as a rookie and he can develop and work on that part of his game. So uh, I think it all comes down to fit and what you're looking for at linebacker first and foremost. Yeah. I think DJ reader helps a lot at he'll help whoever is out there at linebacker, but I don't think it changes what you look for in a linebacker. I think that they're generally looking for athletes now. I think that they've moved beyond the Ray Maluga preference Mm -hmm. of linebacker, even though they did just sign Josh Vines. I mean, Bynes, like we said, was the best linebacker available at that point. So kind of is what it is. Next question comes from at Bring Your Own Buns, whose hmm. Twitter handle is actually at Brothers Comics. I think it's great that the Bengals are spending money now, but why didn't they do that with Marvin Lewis when they were close? Great question. And um, it was one of the major criticisms I think most fans had of the Bengals from like 2014 and 15 and 16 was those are championship rosters and for the most part they're very talented um but they were and i think this is probably the issue and now that i'm saying it out loud because i think they were limited at coach and quarterback and it's hard to be limited at those two spots and really get over the hump and win those playoff games right you're gonna end up going and facing one of the best coach teams with some of the best quarterbacks and if you have a worse situation at either one of those chances are you're going to lose so what they in my opinion what they had to do was really maximize the roster and the cap and go for it and push it over the top and just be the superior team in a few ways. And I think that could have led to a, um, a playoff win. And they didn't do that. At times they'd be rolling over $10 million in cap space when you have a team that's that close. So um, I don't know why they didn't do it. And I think it's probably because they felt better at coaching quarterback than the outside world did. Yeah. I mean, it's just like we just talked about with the cycles when they were close is when they should be, more aggressive in roster building, find the missing pieces, really make the push. When we talk about, oh, the Bengals don't know how to win, or when other people talk about the Bengals aren't trying to win, that's what they're talking about is go when, when you're one piece away, find a way to land you know, DeAndre Hopkins in a trade, for example, if, if he was available and, and the Bengals were interested. You know, the, the DJ Reader signing is great now, but... Where's that guy when they needed a defensive tackle in 2015? Right. And Think of if, if they have a championship team in three years, right? The window's open, Burrow's great, and they're losing some of these guys they signed, Von Bell, Mackenzie Alexander, whoever, and they're worried about the comp pick for that guy rather than going out and replacing him or upgrading. That's when we'll be in the back in the cycle and saying, what are they doing? Maximize there, it. Go for it. There is a balance here, right? Because look at the Patriots. And that all happens when you have an elite coaching staff that makes players better. Exactly. If, if that's the coaching staff that you have, 
then you feel okay with letting some guys go that are marginal starters for you because you're going to be able to go get a guy who mm-hmm. fits your what you're looking for, who will buy in, and you'll get that same average starting production from him. And your coaching, the way you're calling games, the way you're preparing your team will be enough to make up for the rest. So that's what the Patriots do so well, I think. But uh, is that what Zach Taylor's going to do? I don't think we know yet. Next question is from Bengals will be okay, and his handle is Bengals are okay. So very definitive with the handle. And we're going back to Carson Palmer. He said, I just want to know both of your thoughts on Carson Palmer. As a player, teammate, overall person, from what you know, I know all of us in the fan base have ragged him. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much. They've they've ragged the ever-loving shit out of him, he goes. But, yes, um, we've talked about Carson Palmer a couple times, but just quickly – I think he was right on most of the things he said. I think he was a good quarterback. Um, but I'm past it at this point because they're getting a new franchise quarterback. I think he holds a grudge, which I don't love. Uh, but I don't think he's wrong. And we've talked about that. I know that many of the people that listen to this podcast do not like that we both believe that. I, I think that the way he went out was too bad. A lot of people think he quit on the team, quit on Cincinnati. I think that he, uh, they put it all on him. And this is what you see from Willie Anderson when he's talking about Joe Burrow coming to Cincinnati. Don't put it all on yep. your savior quarterback. Build the team around him. Provide him with the support he needs. Uh, because even if he's really good, and Carson Palmer was a very good player, y- you need to build around him properly. You can't, you can't let it be all him. And Carson had asks. He made asks as a franchise, and he got told no, and he said, you know what, I'm done. They're not, they're not trying. And uh, honestly, I have a really hard time blaming him for that. If you're, if you're really competitive, um, I, I can see that happening, right? If you just see the environment around you and it's just like, man, you're not doing what I tell you to do. I think this would really work. And don't and, and miss me with the, he said, sign T.O. and they did. I don't care if they signed a couple guys that he wanted them to sign. It's, it's structural things that we're still asking for 10 years later. And that's what I was going to say. He did ask for guys, and he did get some of them. But as a competitor, he wanted to keep asking for guys and keep getting players every year. So it didn't work. So Lavernius Coles didn't work. Fine. Go get me a different receiver. That's how I would think of it, wouldn't you? Um, and he got pushback. And I think if you're a player and you're in your upper 20s at that point, you're like, man, we've got to go for this thing. If we're not, then what are we doing? So there, there is part of that. I, I believe he had a lot of say in the organization, and I do like that. But uh, – yeah, they didn't back him on everything, which if you take a franchise quarterback, I would hope you would. And there is some pushback. We saw it on the Patriots right now. At some point, you say to that guy, it's time. But Brady is 45 years old. So I, I hope for Joe Burrow it's when he's 42 years old. Yeah, our next question comes from Dom at Dom51919690. Jesus. I read the numbers. If BPA is still a defensive player not named Xavier McKinney, do you reach? For an offensive lineman or wide receiver here. You're F-33. saying because they've made right. And I think Dom's saying that they've made so many moves on defense. Like, yeah. can you still take defense at 33? Yeah. You know, so I think they can. I think there's an edge need. I think there's a future linebacker need. I think there's a future corner need. Um, so it, it's still very possible you can do that. It how clear of a BPA is that defensive player? Is he like 22 on your board? And the next O-line or wide receiver is, let's say, 
Austin Jackson, and he's 32 on your board. And wide receiver Jalen Rager is 34 on your board. And you're, so you're talking about like 10 points higher for the defensive player? Yeah, you probably go defense. Yeah, if you have a 1C versus a 2A, you take the 1C, I think. If it's a mm-hmm. bunch of 2A guys, you have a slightly higher 2A defender than a 2A offensive player. Maybe you you drop down a couple spots there if, it, if it's a good fit. But I yep. guess the board accounts for fit, so... I, I don't I, I think that their free agency has set them up to go true BPA at thirty three. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the end of the story. If they choose to to pick somebody that we don't like, well, we can speculate about why that happened when we get there, but I, I honestly usually believe the Bengals when they say they're picking BPA uh most of the time. They're sometimes they're obviously not. Uh particularly in the first round lately, but uh, typically, I think that that's what they're trying to do. I think so, too, usually. I mean, there were years that it was obvious, and I think that's when they got in the most trouble. 2014, 2015 was sprinkled with BPA and um, targeting needs. And 2014 especially, man, that was a rough um, year to do that. And sometimes they just miss. Sometimes their sure. BPA is just wrong, and they've had they've had some of that lately, too, I think. Because when they For picked sure. Abwehi and Fisher... They still had tackles on the roster. They were trying to draft for the future like they had been for the last few but years. They were trying to Fisher put guys... is the BPA there, right? He, he was the guy that, like, Probably. well, we didn't want to double up on tackle. Fisher's still here in round two. We we're going to consider him in the first yeah. round, if you remember. And they're yeah. like, screw it, take him. Yeah. But but Abwehi, it was like they, they just they thought he was really good. They did. I, I truly believe that. They had him as a top 10 player. Dark Nard, they had him as a top 10 player. Yeah. So, I mean, you NFL... are... NFL teams always has disparate boards. Seattle picks guys you've never heard of in the first round every year, and they still win football games. Right. They didn't look at their third round, fourth round, fifth round board and take Drew Sample last year. They legitimately thought he was a second round prospect. So that means you've probably evaluated wrong to that point, or you're so confident that he is what you think he is. And, And you want that to some degree. You just want them to be right. Of course. Next question from Will Gerhardt. It seems the two of you have differing opinions on Cesar Ruiz at 33. I'd love to hear both sides of the argument. Do we have differing opinions? Cesar what's Ruiz your... is like the only interior offensive lineman that I would consider at 33. So what's your opinion of him? I, I need to watch him. I think that's somebody that, spoiler alert, we might watch tomorrow when we do a little bit of a film stream. We're going to do a I film think... live stream tomorrow. There's two players I want to watch tomorrow. Cesar Ruiz and Vaughn Bell. We should do one pro player, one college. What do you think? I thought we were going to do the linebackers, the college linebackers, too. We'll be there all day if we do that. Well, not necessarily. We do. They're involved in 10 plays a game. You have to Uh, go through so many games for a linebacker. Now, Cesar Ruiz, you can watch one game and see him for 60 plays. True. Um, I I need to know more about him. I have concerns that he – I need to see more of him doing the things that he would be doing if he were playing guard because I don't think the Bengals are moving Trey Hopkins. So if they draft him, I think he's going to start at guard for like the first few years. That Maybe Trey Hopkins plays out his contract. Maybe then he goes to center. But I want to see him doing guard things. There's a lot of him doing great center things on Michigan tape. Yep. I just I just need to see more. I just haven't seen enough. Think of when the Lions and Bears drafted Jake, um, James Daniels and Frank Ragnow. Who'd they have in front of them? Cody Whitehair and Graham Glasgow. They had some good veteran centers at that time that could also play guards what they do they put those centers at guard for a year and even james daniels went back to guard year two frank ragnow went to center year two i think that's 
a fair blueprint and situation where you're like, okay, we just extended Hopkins three year deal. It's not like they, you know, locked him in for a long time. They didn't pay him a lot of money. And you start Cesar Ruiz at guard because I think that's what they should have done with Billy Price also. Yeah. There's no reason to throw him in there right away, especially when you had Hopkins on the roster. Well, Billy uh, you, Price played guard at Ohio State. Right, exactly. Did you Cesar Ruiz play guard at Michigan? I don't believe he did. He's coming out as a 20-year-old, so uh, yeah. early early declare. And Frank Ragnow did play guard also yeah. at Arkansas. James Daniels, I don't think did. I think he was straight up center. He actually had more center um, experience than Billy Price. Uh, so there is a blueprint there to to do it. And if, say, in two years, you say, you know what? Cesar Ruiz is better at center. Let's move him over. And Hopkins, you know, you're either a guard or at that time, maybe you're – he wasn't great. He was just serviceable. Mm-hmm. And that's better than anything they had. So I'm not against it. We'll watch him and we'll be more definitive on what we see. Last question, Maddie Wayne. Try to help me explain how Bell and Williams will be substituted. You mentioned that you would build your defense from the nickel. What would both of those guys on the field look like, or does Williams sit? Right, so let's look at it. Maddie Wayne's got the right question here. Um, Build it from the nickel, and there are multiple ways you can do a nickel defense, and you can have a big nickel. So I'll start there. Uh, well, let's say nickel defense. Let's define everything for uh, someone who doesn't know. Nickel defense is five defensive backs. That's when you have a slot corner out there. Think Dark Wesnard. Think Leon Hall. You got your two boundary corners. You have two safeties. Those are your five defensive backs, two linebackers. Um, you can have a big nickel. So you take out Mackenzie Alexander, who's your slot guy, and you put in either Sean Williams or Vaughn Bell. I think that should be Vaughn Bell uh, in the in the nickel corner role. As a big um, slot guy, he did that for the Saints. He was a good blitzer. He was a good underneath guy. He was good at setting the edge versus the run. A lot like Darquez Denard, only more of a safety than corner, obviously. And then you can do a traditional nickel where Vaughn Bell is your back safety or Sean Williams is your back safety along with Jesse Bates, and you take out a linebacker. So you're taking out Josh Bynes, and you're inserting whoever you feel is the better underneath or box guy, which Sean Williams did it 500 times last year. Vaughn Bell has done it 500 times in 2018 with the with the Saints. So you can do either one. I actually think Bell might be better at it, but he's the smaller guy. So you can decide that way. You can be flexible with it that way. And technically, that's a dime defense because you have six defensive backs on the field, but call it whatever you want. It's a big dime at that point. Um Either way, it's, to me, it's the nickel package because you're just really substituting a player for a player. Uh, forget the, the position versatility there. So I think you can get them all on the field. And remember, nickel is 65-plus percent of the game. And sometimes you need some speed even in a 3-4 or 4-3 defense against the, the Ravens. Ravens keep you in your base, whatever your 3-4, 4-3, is, and we can define that another time. But you can also insert or take out a linebacker there and put in Sean Williams or Vaughn Bell and get some speed up front. So I think there are a lot of snaps to go around for three safeties if they choose to go that way. I think you covered everything. They can get them on the field in a big dime. They can use them both. In nickel, if they so choose, just substituting. I mean, it's a big dime. They can use them both in a big dime that would then replace the nickel. You can take a linebacker out for them in the base defense. I think that three safeties is something that we saw a lot and we're going to see more of. And I think that's a good summary. That's the last of our questions. Thank 
you all so much for joining. Oh, Joe, you have a trivia question. Yeah, I do. So I'm going to leave it up for everyone here. So I'm not going to give you the answer, Jake, until we come back Monday or maybe when we stream tomorrow to get people to watch the stream, unless they just Google it. But anyways, so Tyler Eifert said goodbye to Cincinnati. Nice little um, heartfelt thank you as he moves on to Jacksonville. He wore number 85. They went from one really great franchise 85 to Tyler Eifert wearing number 85. And I want to know for the year in between there, from Chad Johnson to Tyler Eifert, who wore number 85? We will end it there, Bengals fans. Come check out the stream tomorrow. We will tweet some links. Until then, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.